0: What's a hoed egg? asked David. A monster in the woods, said Anna. And Alexandra just accepted a dare to stay out there all night. You're kidding, said David. He looked at Alexandra. Are you nuts?
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Remedial Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Brady, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, my brother, Baylor, and my good friend, Delbert, and guys, this is it. This is the beginning of the end, including this episode. There's only ten left in season one of the Remedial Magic podcast. Can you believe it? Because I can. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs)
0: It uh, definitely has felt like a long time coming at this point to start wrapping things up, even though still feels like the plot is pretty undefined.
1: Yeah, I was, as we read through the chapter this week, and of course we've got to get into it more, but as we read through the chapter this week, I found myself thinking, we are like seemingly no closer to a resolution now than we were 15 chapters ago. Like, I, I'm at a point where it feels like the story might be being stretched out a little bit too long. Yeah, I
0: mean, I was excited. There's one little phrase in this chapter that says, "The time turned into February," and I'm like, "Yes, a few more months. All right, we're finishing up pretty soon, right?"
2: Not only that, but then it talks about March even in the same chapter, like I think on the same page. <laughs> yeah. So, it,
0: oh, I mean, I'm I'm happy that we're getting there. That's for
2: sure. I obviously, you know, I I guess a lot more, uh, what'd you guys call it? Exposition, I guess, in this chapter. Um, we learned that she gets out of the, you know, uh, classes, which is cool, but I don't, I don't, I kind of agree with you, Brady. I didn't really see the point for this chapter, I guess, necessarily like being its own chapter, but I don't know. It's, it's seemingly in first book, maybe.
1: I don't know if it's, I don't think this is Inverarity's first fan fiction, is it? Delbert didn't didn't I he write. I actually don't know. Hogwarts House Divided, I think, prior to this one.
0: I thought that came out after the first book, but I could be totally wrong on that timeline.
1: At any rate, I it is a good book. It's just the way we're reviewing it is taking quite some time. But what I will say is, I'm still enjoying it, and uh, I'm glad to get to talk about it for. Anywhere between 50 minutes and an hour and a half each week with you guys. That's it's one of the best parts of my week. So regardless of how I feel about the story at this point in time, I'm going to keep coming back.
0: Yeah, I think had we uh, kept up with our three chapter per episode strategy from episode one, it would have been okay over the last couple chapters. Well, maybe not the Christmas chapter, but a couple of these like build up chapters would have been all right to compact them in.
2: Really, since the Thanksgiving chapter, there's not really been one that's been longer than, for me, ten ten pages. Except so, for the
0: winter break one, right? Wasn't that? Well, maybe not. Maybe long? fifteen. But
2: like Thanksgiving was like I yeah. think close
1: to thirty pages long. So
0: yeah.
1: So, at any rate, we're here. We're talking about Alexandra Quick and the Thorn Circle. I guess we should have mentioned that a while ago, before we started talking about the book. But Alexandra Quick and the Thorn Circle. This week we're talking about chapter twenty which is called Larry's Wager, which promises to be interesting at least. It probably comes with Alex getting herself in a little bit more trouble than she has been recently, which also is kind of a nice return to form for the story. And so it's going to be an uh, interesting one to talk about for sure. We have a mention of something that does exist in the Harry Potter universe, but not in the original series as far as I know. So that'll be fun to get into. As well as we get to uh, see one of Alex's friends who's made a bunch of good decisions so far. Perhaps make a poor one sort of enabling Alex along the way. But before we get to that, Delbert, give the people our social media Let them know where they can contact us. It's been a quiet week on the social media front for us, but we're expecting a a big deluge of emails after this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, our episode today where I casted Josh Allen came out, so I'm sure I'm going to get some uh, hate notice for that. (laughs) Oh, boy. What a horrific casting. I know it. They know it. We all know it. That being said, at the underscore remedial magic podcast.
1: At the (laughs) R.M., Underscore
0: oh, RM man. podcast. Yeah. The Gmails, the uh, Remedial Magic Podcast at gmail.com. Holy moly. I didn't have to say them the last couple episodes, so it slipped my mind.
2: All of this good information can always be found in, in the description of the podcast, along with our link tree
1: to various other links to other places. Yeah, Look, the link at,
0: tree's helpful.
1: At this point, if you want to know how to contact us, you can figure that out yourself.
0: I mean, if you just Google Remedial Magic Podcast Link Tree. We are the top option.
1: It's there. Go Hopefully. find it. People interact with it. Everything's Make us feel there,
0: good. so I can forget which ones are our Twitter and which one's not.
2: Sounds like a good business strategy. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, good. We got social media's out of the way. uh with that being said, I don't have a lot to talk about before we jump into the discussion today and so unless one of you guys has something you'd like to bring up before we start, figure we can just jump right on in. I'm ready all right. well. We might as well do a three-sentence summary. Again, this is Chapter 20. It's called Larry's Wager. Last week we talked about Chapter 19, the registrar's scroll. We got some closure on one of Baylor's predictions. We made an amendment to a grade of a different prediction of his. Um, So we've we've got kind of a clean slate coming into this one. We don't really need to clean anything up. And with that being said... I'll go ahead and start this prediction. Baylor, you can go second, and Delbert, you can finish it up. So I'll begin with Alex takes the spawn. She gets
2: out of remedial classes. She now has to test the
0: fates against a hodag to impress a couple hillbilly crackers.
1: Oh, gosh. All right. Here we go. In work. the immortal words of David Washington. Phil Billy Crackers. Also Indeed. in the words
0: of forbearance, but probably uh to throw an attack at Mr. Washington.
1: Yeah, I don't same think with she, Anna. Yes. Yeah. I don't yeah. think she was using it in in the same way that David was. But we'll get there in a little bit. Where this chapter starts is it starts with Alex and Anna talking about how they think Dean Grimm probably just forgot to punish Alex this most recent time that she was in her office, and, you know, they might have a point here, uh, but kudos to Alex for for starting this chapter off not in trouble, because it doesn't really remain that way for too long at this point.
2: No, I mean, I, I had my hopes out that, you know, Alex had, had turned, a, turned a rock or whatever, turned a leaf, you know, turned a page, I guess, would be the proper term, um, but... You know, later in this chapter, we find out that, you know, she just needs to basically get ego challenged and then all all hell breaks loose.
1: That is true. And I've, we're going to get there again in a little while. But seriously, uh, is Alex's ego so big that she can't avoid trouble? I think that's a question that we're going to have to start asking ourselves because she's made this promise. And we even see it at the beginning of this chapter, this promise to not get in trouble anymore and just... Study And it really just frankly doesn't last that long.
0: I still stand by that outside of the rashes, Larry and early book stepdad, Archie, Alex is just the worst character in this book. <laughs> she's she's pretty bad.
1: She's definitely the most irritating. I think even past those other guys, I think she is the most irritating, but perhaps it's because we spend the most time with her. So um, I try to give her the benefit of the doubt, but it is difficult sometimes to look past the fact that she's an 11-year-old girl and see that she's probably struggling personally with a few things. At any rate, they get ready to take their spawn again, and for most people, it's only a practice spawn to see how they're progressing, but for the people in remedial magic classes, it's their chance to get out of those remedial classes and into the normal classes so they can get caught up with their peers. And I just wanted to bring up something Right away, before we even talk about the spawn test, I hadn't considered until this point that if Alex gets out of remedial classes, she's then going to still be an entire semester behind her classmates, because as we find out, they're not going to go back and get her and David caught up more quickly. They just throw them in where everybody else is right away.
0: Seems balanced. Great way to uh, adapt for your students, for sure.
1: I get that the remedial
2: classes are supposed to, you know, get them, like, catch them up, I guess. But how does it how does it catch them up when they come in to the new semester,
1: like you said, a semester behind? That just doesn't make any sense to me. It's almost like it would be more effective for Charmbridge or any school that has this model of remedial class structure to, instead of putting people in remedial classes, perhaps give them something to study from before classes begin you know like a little guide about what could be on the spawn and what you should be reading maybe even take them to the school a month early and put them through just like a basic here's what you need to know course prior to the other students getting there
0: i was just gonna say what if they had tested at the end of the previous year for all their incoming students and held a quick summer school for those that needed a little catch-up
2: i mean that that seems like a good idea Imgram
0: mean, once again incompetent, get her out <laughs> of office
2: we do see what uh you know some preparation does do here because Alex does pass all of the the tests she does
1: she passes them all she gets an average in every class except for practical magical exercise with uh Miss shirtliff, where she gets an excellent and so she does get out of her remedial classes, which is great, good for Alex, but here she is now a semester behind and we know that since Alex is our main character, we're probably not going to see the effects of these of her struggling since she is behind. She's it's been made known that she's a very bright witch, especially for her age, but back to my original point, this can be solved by just putting in a little extra effort to accommodate your muggle-born students, right? The people that lived at home, in fact, what are they what are they going to do when it gets to the end of the semester and a bunch of the muggle-born students just fail all the content from their first from their the first half of their uh, the first half of the school year that they didn't get to participate in what what's the play then then the next year they start off in remedial classes for that section and end up a semester behind in year 2
0: i wonder if they just get held back like you know traditional american school systems
1: I guess that could happen. I mean...
0: She's just a sixth grader again next year. We don't see that ever in Hogwarts, though.
1: There is some precedent for it. I mean, at at one point, Harry and Ron are talking about how they hope Crabbe and Goyle will fail their end-of-year exams so that way they get held back. But we don't see that happen because Harry and Ron almost literally never have to take their final year, end-of-year exams. That's true. Thanks to Lord Voldemort, who... (laughs) Cared enough about education to let them finish the school year, but not enough to let them take their tests.
0: Yeah, actually, I kind of wonder how many of those uh, students were out and about after graduating, just causing terror with an incomplete education upon the Britain wizarding world. Magical engineers who never had their exams. It's insane.
1: It is insane, yeah. Absolutely. At any rate, Alex and David both get out of their remedial magic classes. David, of course, does... A little bit better than Alex in these. He uh, he gets a couple of excellence along with a bunch of averages, whereas Alex only gets one excellent. But they pass their spawns, they get out of their remedial magic classes, and that's kind of that as far as the education goes in this chapter.
0: I just came to a startling conclusion not to go back ten seconds. The invisible bridge was definitely built by a Hogwarts engineer from that class, which is why it failed. That's my theory.
1: So were the clockwork golems then, or yeah, the clockwork Autobots, I yeah. guess, as we call them on this show. <laughs> Autobots <laughs> and Decepticons.
0: Golems, Autobots, Decepticons.
2: I mean, I I just think you know, going back even further. If, oh, no. if they treat each of their muggle board students the same and Dean Grimm says, hey, by the way, you're taking this test and here's a study guide a month before school starts, I feel like Alex probably wouldn't even, even have been in remedial classes to begin
1: with. so I this, just
0: had another consideration.
1: This show is coming full circle a little bit yeah. right now because we talked about this a lot in like the first or second episode.
0: Maybe Alex was supposed to have been sent a study guide, but incompetent headmaster Dean Grimm Forgot to bring it with her on her ice cream run, and just said, ah, oh, she'll be fine.
1: Maybe incompetent headmaster Dean Grimm was one of the students from those Hogwarts classes that we've been talking about.
0: Dean Grimm's a Slytherin. Oh. Confirmed. <laughs> the Wait, twist. who's the girl that hangs... It's Pansy Parkinson in disguise.
1: Dean Grimm is Pansy Parkinson. Yeah. Wow. We're breaking new ground on this show today, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not a long chapter. Got to have some conspiracy. Let's just here. stop
1: talking about this chapter and instead start talking about our conspiracy theories about how <laughs> Hogwarts influences Charmbridge.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Um, Alex passes the spawn, gets out of remedial magic classes, goes to some normal classes for the first time, and they do make note that she is clearly behind uh, when c- being compared to her classmates that have been in these normal classes. For the entire year and Anna is pretty much consistently having to help her remember incantations or show her different wand movements. And so Alex is going to get through this. We know that because she is, at least in my opinion, it seems that she's the most talented witch of her grade level and probably more talented than a lot of kids older than her. Uh, But it's interesting that she's... Struggling so much now, given how easy remedial magic classes were for her to begin with. My only guess
2: would be, you know, it's a new environment, new teachers. I'm sure that they're probably not as as helpful, I would get. Like, not, not, not as helpful, but they don't walk them through the steps necessarily. They're just assumed to know the stuff.
0: Well, I think it also would depend very heavily on what type of learning this is, right? Like, Baylor, you're in engineering. You know, you miss two weeks of math classes and then try to show up for the next math class. You're not going to have any idea how to do that because it probably built on what you just missed. Yeah. But in a history class, if you don't learn about the Revolutionary War, you can still understand the Civil War. Like, it depends on how the subject's taught. If you need to know certain spells to complete later incantations then you're probably quite a ways behind.
1: Right. That makes sense. I agree with that. That's being a, Coming from a teaching background, that's what I used to tell my students all the time. It's like, look, if you miss a whole week in a class like science where everything is conceptual and one concept builds on the next, you're going to come back and be even more confused than you are right now. So I imagine that there's a lot of that going on for Alex and for David and for whoever else might have needed to take a spawn to get out of the remedial magic courses but she seems to be doing fine by the end of it Anna's helping her get through we see that Miss Shirtliff is teaching a class and that class seems to be exceptionally difficult because she's giving the class lots of extra homework and the contents extra challenging that being said Alex even goes on to say that no more danger shows up, and nobody seems to be trying to kill her anymore, and all was well, it says, which is, uh, you know, the very last line in Harry Potter. But it doesn't last for too long, at least for us it doesn't last for too long, because we get a big time skip, right? They spawn, and getting into normal classes happened at the beginning of the semester, Whereas, halfway through this chapter, all of a sudden, it's nearly March. So, big time skip. We miss a lot of what I can only assume was pretty uneventful stuff going on at Charmbridge. Otherwise, we would have heard about it. So, uh, with that time skip comes another clash or another confrontation between Alex and her friends and Larry and his friends the Rash twins and I got to tell you guys Larry Albo's fine for me but when I read the Rash twins names I just go oh great I don't want to I don't want to read about these two ever again if I can avoid it They definitely seem
2: to be the instigators I would say and especially cuz before we have the time jump I guess during the time jump it it Inverarty says that Alex and Larry have just kind of gotten used to calling themselves troublesome and, and other silly names. It's like they make in what I thought was they had like turned it into a game or it's just a funny inside joke between them and not necessarily uh, intense rivalry. But then we get this scene where the Rash twins come back and suddenly it's much more serious again.
0: Yeah, and I find it interesting the way you uh, presented that, Brady, about not necessarily caring that much about Larry, but every time you see the rashes, you're just like, oh, come on. Very much how I felt in the Harry Potter series about Malfoy versus Crabbe and Goyle. Like, if Malfoy, if Malfoy was there, at least I expected some sort of presence, like, you know, some critical thinking and stuff. Whereas Crabbe and Goyle were just the goons that were just basically linear characters that were essentially assholes all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you, too. I was going to bring up Crabbe and Goyle because... The, the Rash brothers are different than Crab and Goyle for me because they're also like competing to be the primary instigators against Alex with Larry, whereas Crabbe and Goyle were kind of just like the henchmen in the background of Malfoy. And so for me in this story, Larry at least serves a purpose to kind of push subplots and kind of advance the storyline a little bit, whereas the Rash twins just kind of show up and throw insults, and then leave. They, like, show up, act like chauvinists, and then leave. And so them their inclusion serves almost no purpose, I think, except to annoy Alex and the reader both. They they almost show up when
2: something needs to happen or something's going to happen. You know, like, and not a good thing is going to happen either. So I they definitely, I think, are used for that reason by...
1: In variety, yeah, I, they also serve as kind of the anti hero or whatever to Constance and Forbearance, right? Because they come from the same place as Constance and Forbearance, but they're essentially everything Constance and Forbearance are trying not to be, right? It seems like Benjamin and Mordecai are, are busy exacerbating these problems that Constance and Forbearance are having with people thinking that they're hillbillies and that they're kind of dumb and unintelligent, um, whereas Constance and Forbearance are, they're trying to kind of prove the opposite, and so when Benjamin and Mordecai are acting like this, it, it just causes Constance and Forbearance to have even more problems, right? It even causes problems within Alex's friend group because Benjamin and Mordecai Rash show up and everybody starts insulting them based on where they're from, forgetting about Constance and Forbearance being there as well.
0: I'm also curious on Larry. Do you guys think that he's kind of the popular kid? Think, like, that he's hot shit? Because I have the exact opposite take on Mr. Albo. I I think he's like a social outcast.
1: I, I don't get the the feeling that he's the popular kid either. I think, I mean, I get that more of a feeling about somebody being a popular kid from Alex than I do from Larry. Larry's like the little, and the Brash brothers are like the... The gremlins that just show up to try to knock people down a peg i don't know they yeah. they fill a weird role in the school because my think.
0: thought process is like especially with constance and forbearance when they're introduced i mean darla and angelique they're like oh they're ozarkers like basically segregating them in their mind already so the fact that he's like buddy buddy with these other two ozarkers that probably had a similar thought from the peers of his grade means that he's probably hanging out in a group of outcasts, and also the fact he's picking on people in a two-year younger grade than himself makes me think that he's probably not very popular in his own year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, we've talked about a lot of times how the structure of this story shares a lot of common elements with the structure of the first Harry Potter book, and so I think you're right, Delbert, when earlier you compare the Rash twins to... Crabbe and Goyle, where it just feels like Larry is kind of the Draco Malfoy of this book, and those two are his little cronies that are kind of there in the background. And instead of being the muscle like Crabbe and Goyle were, they're just like extra ancillary insults that get thrown at Alex uh, and Constance and Forbearance.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, one thing I wanted to point out is that's another relationship that didn't really make sense to me, if not for the fact that Voldemort existed, I think if there was never a Voldemort in Europe, you would be very unlikely to find Draco Malfoy being friends with Crabbe and Goyle. Like, he's a much smarter and higher level individual than those two.
1: You're right. So then why, what's the link between Larry and the Rash twins here, right? Yeah. I mean, Voldemort being the link makes sense. So what's the link here? Is there something in the background we don't know about? Did something happen earlier in the book that I'm forgetting about? I'm not really sure other than... I think you're right that they just aren't very popular as a group, and so they kind of unpopular kids stick with unpopular kids, right?
0: Right. More conspiracy.
2: I, I definitely like liken them to Draco and, and Crab and Goyle, like you guys said. um, and, and really, I think they have kind of how Draco had. He had like a little group of cronies. Obviously, they had the entire Slytherin house probably behind them, but like he had his own little group of cronies. He had like you know, the Quidditch captain guy who was kind of behind him and, and Craven and Goyle and Pansy Parkinson and just some other no-name Slytherins that we see throughout the books. But I definitely think you're right. I just, um, it's almost as if uh, Benjamin and Mordecai are more of the aggressor than Larry Albo is yeah. when it comes to Alex.
0: But the only difference between what you said and what I think of Larry is had Harry not been in Hogwarts, Draco Malfoy is the most popular kid in that grade. In the entire school. Well, upper grade students are bowing down to him because of his father's power.
1: Draco has status. That's another thing that I think makes Larry kind of a hard character to understand in this book is that it was established early on that Draco had status. And so there's a reason for him to be this this popular kid that goes around picking on people and getting away with it. Right. With Larry, we also don't have any reason to know, understand why he's able to do that. In this story. Right. Um So... Because
0: the only one we really know on that is Darla, right? Like, she seems to be very founded within the wizarding world. Like, she seems to have some ties to power or something like yeah. that, the way she presents herself. We
1: just don't have as much background for Larry and the Rash twins as I think we need to understand why they act the way they do. Because, frankly, the way it is now is that they're basically just jerks just to be the jerks of the story right because the story needs an antagonist and so they're
2: there i remember earlier i i remember saying that i thought ozarkers were bass backwards um and i really think that i kind of can see this here because if if i'm correct and correct me if i'm wrong but ozarker boys have have always been sent to
1: schools right basically i don't know is it established in this book? I know that we've read this, but it's been a while. Is it established in this book that Ozarker boys go to magic schools, and then Constance and forbearance are different because they're the first girls, or were they just the first people from their holler? I can't to go? remember,
0: but I thought that they were the first in their family. Yeah, regardless, yeah, that which who right. knows if she has older brothers or not, or they have older brothers. But I'm. I mean, I'm not sure. But as far as we know, the only four Ozarkers in the school are the two set of twins.
2: Right. Right. I guess I guess to me it just seemed like Benjamin and Morkai kind of have this carelessness about them, like they know that no matter what they do, they might get in trouble for it, but they're not gonna get kicked out, whereas Constance and Forbearance, because they are the first of their family or the first of their hall or whatever, um, that like they're they're always having to like watch what they're doing, you know, to not disappoint their family or Whoever sent them to Charmbridge. And not to
0: delve even deeper, but I wonder if they even care. Because, like, it seems like Constance and Forbearance, they had to, like, fight with their family to, like, be allowed to come. I wonder if Benjamin and Mordecai were, like, presented the option and their parents pushed for it and they didn't really want to go and now they're here. So, I don't know.
2: If I'm remembering right, at the beginning of the book when they're in uh, Grundy's and this whole, the first, you know, fight scene happens, um... Ben, Benjamin and Mordecai say something like, "You guys are are, you know, con- convoluted with the sorceresses now, or something." And they're like, "You know, you, you guys aren't supposed to do that, or something." Right. So I definitely think it's it's rare that I guess girls would go to a to an outside school. But
0: what a deep dive back into Grundy's. Well, it's just it's interesting.
1: It's just interesting. Larry and then the Rash Twins are just like an interesting character because it feels like we don't have enough of an explanation for why they act the way they do. And we don't of course go on to get that in this chapter, but we might later on.
2: One thing I thought was interesting and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but um, I really, after Alex Storm like runs off to check what a hodag is in the library, we kind of see an interaction between uh, Anna and David. And Anna's like, that's really weird. Either, Larry knows there's a hodag in there or he's up to something. And I just thought that was a really interesting take from someone who's been very reserved, you know, uh, up up until this point in the book, basically. Um, and so I definitely think—obviously, we don't get it this chapter, but either the next chapter or a coming chapter, we're going to see kind of uh, hopefully some clarity with why the Rashes and, and Larry are so invested in Alex, basically.
1: Yeah, so— At any rate, the reason that we keep bringing up this creature called the Hodag is throughout this confrontation between Larry, the Rash twins, and then Alex and her friend group, uh, we end up with Larry essentially making a wager with Alex about this mystical creature called a Hodag. And the wager is basically Larry saying, I bet you aren't brave enough to stay a night in the forest, where this Hodag lives. And Hodag's in quotation marks, at least air quotes, because there's a lot of mixed opinions on whether it's real or whether it's just a kind of a rumor that older kids make up to scare younger kids. But he says, I bet you can't stay a night in the woods where the Hodag is. And if you do, I'll owe you a boon. But if you don't, then you owe me a boon. And so they make this bet based on Alex's bravery, which of course. She has too big of an ego and too much stubbornness in her to say, no, I don't want to do that to Larry. And so they do make the bet. And it's interesting because it sounds kind of like this is almost an unbreakable vow, right? Like if Alex doesn't do it, then she has to do something for Larry. There's no getting out of it. And it's also the same for Larry. If if Alex does do it, then he has to do something for her. So it's a really interesting interaction that proves to give us a little bit of action going forward because uh there's this magical like magically sealed wager kind of existing in the background
2: now. That that was the part that was most interesting to me especially I get that Alex felt, you know, threatened or challenged or whatever. Um but to me her accepting this this vow which she's been in the magical world now for what would it start in August and now it's almost March. So probably six, seven months. If my math is correct, (laughs) my quick math. Um, but like, she should know that, that magical things are, aren't kidding around, I guess, so to speak. So taking a magical vow, basically, like I agreed with you, Brady, it was like an unbreakable vow. Like, I feel like that was a really stupid thing for her to do, especially to someone like Larry Albo.
0: Yeah. Not a great choice, especially because she doesn't even know what this thing is. Like, Yep. It's a boon, which as far as we know, she has no idea what that means other than she finds out it's like something they have to do. So she has no idea what she's doing here anyways. Yeah, like I you mean, said, it could be an unbreakable vow where she's risking her life if she fails. Like
1: This is this is another example of Alex not quite understanding the magical world versus the muggle world, right? Because if if you're in the muggle world and your friend walks up to you and says, I dare you to sleep in the woods overnight and then you don't do it. Nothing happens. You you just didn't do it. But clearly something is going to happen here, and it feels like Alex is overestimating the consequences that could come about if she fails to stay in the woods the entirety of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's not much else that happens this chapter, right? There's the wager uh, Alex and Larry agree to, and then what you brought up at the very beginning, Delbert happens with David... Eventually, David tells off the Rash Twins by calling them Hillbilly Crackers, and that leads to them leaving, but even worse, Constance and Forbearance, once again feeling alienated for their background. Yep. And so I feel bad, once again, for them. Um. But Anna does tell David off, as you said, Baylor, and that's kind of—the chapter ends with them being like, well, I guess Alex is back to the troublesome— her old troublesome self, like she has been. And so, since the chapter's not very long, I wanted to play a game with you guys.
0: Oh, before Baylor, we get into it, can I point out one last thing in the chapter? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to point out the question Alex rhetorically asks to Anna, where she says, If there was really some terrible monster running around in the woods, do you really think that Charmbridge would have it so close where kids could just wander off? And Anna just says, Yes. Yeah. With all the shit that's happened so far, the bridge, the potions, all these near death experiences that they've, you know, been very close to. She has no doubt in her mind that that's a distinct
1: possibility. That's exactly right. And Alex needs to um Alex needs to learn that when something happens in the magical world, you can't just brush it off and be like, "Oh, sorry, that doesn't exist." She's been in the magical world long enough to know that crazy things can happen. So, the game. <laughs> I'm going to just ask you guys some questions about the Hodag, okay. which is a uh apparently a real mythical creature that lives in Wisconsin.
0: I looked this up like over a year ago and I don't remember anything about it.
1: Well, That's terrible news for you. That means Baylor's going to have an advantage because he's looked it up today. Oh, no. I also have the definition in my notes. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, First question for you guys. What color are a hodag's eyes? Blue. I thought yellow, but... I'm going to have to give the point to Baylor because according to this website... The hodag's eyes stole their color from the late summer sunset. Ooh. That's so like, a muggle website. <laughs> a yellow and an orange. <laughs> it's a freaky eye. Uh secondly, what does a hodag smell like? Ooh.
0: Um. Bull poo.
1: Okay. I was gonna say a stable. Um we're going to give that point to the house. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> because according to this, the hodag smells exactly like a pine-scented car air freshener.
0: Yeah, that's what a bull smells like. Yeah, okay, sure. That's what bull poo smells like? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay.
1: Delbert, you go ahead and answer this one first. Oh, no. What do you think the hodag eats?
0: Extremely large lumberjacks.
1: Okay. I was going to say... Uh, Oxen owners, farmers, ranchers. Oh,
0: both going people.
1: All right, interesting. Uh, it does not eat people. Would you oh. like to try a different answer, Delbert? Bulls. Okay. I think of a weird s- bovine answers coming. Listen, from you. the only <laughs> thing I know about <laughs>
0: mythology in Wisconsin is there's some giant lumberjack with a big blue ox, and that's all I know of. So I'm trying to like link the lore.
1: Oh, maybe you should quit trying to do that. Uh, Uh, I can't even remember the guy's name. Your second guess? (laughs) Um, I'm just going to go, you know, stereotypical Wisconsin. I'm going to say cheese. All right, Delbert, you get a point because you've at least said a living creature. Nice. (laughs) The hodag eats fish. Oh. And he prefers a traditional fish fry. What? (laughs) Alex has nothing to worry about then.
0: (laughs) Who's the name of the guy with the giant blue ox?
1: Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan, that's right. All right, two more questions.
0: All right, no more Paul Bunyan linkage.
1: What drink is made from the Hodag's tears?
0: Elixir of life. You looked this up. You should know.
2: I didn't look this up. I just (laughs) looked up a definition. Uh, A sleeping draught, or draught, or I don't know the word. Sleeping
1: potion. Um... I'm going to give the point to Delbert because the tears make the world's best lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) And on a hot day in the summertime, lemonade feels like it gives me life. Oh, no. All right. It's cursed. Last question. We could end in a tie here since the house got a point. it could say we're two here. Maybe. Winner take all. I don't know. Sure. Winner takes all. Uh Sudden death. Losers kicked off the podcast. Oh, Good. What sport does the hodag play in its free time? What sport?
0: Can I get a definition of the creature before I guess?
1: Water polo. No, you can't. That would have been smart.
0: Oh, man. Water polo, they do like fish and fish fries. I feel like water polo is too specific, though. In Wisconsin, it could be frozen over. It could be curling. Got some Olympic bias in there. The um, final answer. I'm gonna here. go with
1: hockey. I'm gonna have to give the point to Delbert. Oh, it's not hockey, but the hodag is a very accomplished scratch golfer. Scratch golfer and incredible. He never needs to buy golf balls. He just collects them as they get lost in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Weird things happening in so, Wisconsin, huh? Now that we've played this game and given everybody a little bit of information about the hodag. Taylor, would you tell us what a hodag is? Yeah, wow. sure. Uh,
2: in American folklore, the hodag is a fearsome critter resembling a large bullhorn carnivore. It's blue with, with it's a the row ox. with a row of thick, curved spines down its back. The hodag was said to be born from the ashes of cremated oxen, as the incarnation of the accumulation of abuse the animals had suffered at the hands of their masters.
1: Wow, that is darker than I thought. Brutal. Jesus. <laughs> According to this website, explore exploreheinlander.com, uh, the Hodag is what we can blame missing sunglasses, lost keys, and it also helps the big one get away from anglers. So, at any rate, that's what a Hodag is. That's what's supposedly lurking in the forest outside of Charmbridge. Does that mean Charmbridge is in Wisconsin? I mean, very well. I I was kind of wondering. It's
0: close, judging by the map Close. they have. Yeah. Yeah. I was
1: kind
2: of wondering if, if the Hodag is just roaming through the Midwest, like upper Midwest or
1: northern Midwest, I guess. I will say that the Hodag does, in fact, exist in the Harry Potter universe already because it was included as a beast in the extended edition of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the book, not the movie. And- Newt Scamander himself says that it's an a animal about the size of a large dog with a frog-like head and growing, glowing red eyes. So, at any rate, it's, a, uh, it's an animal that is canon-compliant here in the Alexander Quick series, so it could exist. Alex may be off-base on this one because it could actually exist in the universe.
0: Yeah, and you know what they say, somehow or another, we all have relatives in Wisconsin.
1: That's true.
2: How when was the extended <laughs> version of Fantastic Beasts released? Uh
1: 2017. Ah, so JKR reads uh Alex Quick. Nice. Ooh. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. That means she also listens to this podcast. Right in. In Variety
0: specifically. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> of where the hodag came from? Was it your creation?
2: Right in if you're from Wisconsin and have ever borrowed a golf ball from a hodag.
1: At any rate, that's where the chapter ends. Alex has agreed to this wager with Larry about staying in the forest overnight. We don't, unfortunately, get to see that happen until next week's chapter, but it it does promise to be somewhat interesting going forward. At least there's going to be a little bit of action. You know, it's nice that Alex is trying to be good and stay out of trouble and do her schoolwork, but... I don't care about that stuff. I want to see her. I want to see her fighting the dark convention and assassinating the governor general soon. So you
0: know what I want to know is what other mythological creatures are really just magical? Bigfoot, Loch Ness
1: monster. I have to assume a lot of them. I would think
0: Elchuka Cabra? Wow,
1: that's close. That's yeah. a close pronunciation. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: been a long time since <laughs> wow. I have said that word. <laughs> I think it was back in the days of my uh, <laughs> mystery machine watching. (laughs) Mystery Machine, wow. We're
1: going to... uh, Can't
0: say the name, they're not a sponsor.
1: Oh, okay. We're going to go ahead and (laughs) and move on before Delbert starts telling us more about his bovine inclinations. (laughs) So, Delbert, would you please uh, tell us who we're going to be casting for this chapter?
0: We're going to cast the best character so far in the book with lots of character depth, the Rash Twins.
1: Alright, that's exciting. I love casting... Child actors, it makes me so happy.
0: That's not what it sounded like <laughs> earlier. It's difficult, very difficult. At any rate. Baylor, how about you start off on this one?
2: So for Benjamin and Mordecai Rash, they are twins, correct? Yes. Okay. I had assumed that, and I was going to be very disappointed if they were not. But last time we had, uh, I guess we had va- uh, two, two people, uh, voice actors. I picked two different characters, but this time I picked one uh, to play both. And his name is Devin Sawa. And he's very old now. Not very old, I guess. He's 50, 60 maybe. Um, But he uh, played one of the main actors from the Casper movie in 1995 when he was 17 years old. Wow. And most recently, well, I guess not most recently, in the past 10 years, he played in the Nikita series. Which is like a spy series if you guys don't know.
0: That is a wee uh, back.
2: Here here is one picture.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. And yep. I had <laughs> I actually
2: there's two different pictures of him that I had found. So I wanted to do uh that was Benjamin. Okay. And then this is Mordecai.
0: Oh. Gonna style him a little bit differently, but oh, it works, my I Lord. think. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest, when you showed the first picture, I thought he might be one of the singers from the band Hanson that was popular in the 90s, but... uh, That
2: might be the case.
0: Yeah. All right, Brady.
1: All right. Go Uh, ahead. So I cast two different actors this time, which is different than what I did last time. So I decided to cast for one of the Rash twins, it doesn't matter which one, somebody who has played an Ozarker before his name is Charlie Tayhan. And he most notably was in the TV series Ozark as Wyatt Langmore. Uh, I am casting him solely for the fact that he has played an Ozarker before. Nice experience above looks in, in terms of this. Yeah, one. Uh, we would have to de age him just a touch. And then for my second casting, I have decided to cast a gentleman by the name of Dakota Goyo, I think is how you'd pronounce that. I do not recognize this guy, but he is the voice of Timmy Tibble in the TV series Arthur. Hmm. Old Timmy Tibble. Old Timmy Tibble. <laughs> nice. That's pretty exciting. He's also young Thor in the movie Thor. Oh, yeah. So that's my casting for the Rash Twins
0: amazingly that is also my casting for the rash twins just dakota goyo not going with two this time around um the thing i know him the most from is real steel which was a uh sci-fi bad boxing movie (laughs) that featured (laughs) hugh jackman as the lead um he was fine the biggest issue with casting this guy is that he uh retired from acting in 2015 or 2014 so we're going to have to uh, pay him probably $100 million to come take this role from
1: us. He'll come back. He understands. It's a Harry Potter universe movie. That's true. He wants to be in it. Yeah. I mean, who who wouldn't want to work with the likes of, of Tim McGraw and
2: Josh Allen and, and <laughs> Christoph Waltz and oh, Maggie man. Smith? You know, I, th- I mean, th- just to name a few.
0: I think we should have a. Uh Remedial Magic Podcast awards session at the end of this and we give best casting and worst casting. Absolutely. And I'm already locked in for worst, so.
2: Write in, right in your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll
0: put a poll out. Yeah,
2: that's
1: a good Also, idea. if you
0: know Dakota Goyo, send him a tweet.
2: Yeah,
1: Tell let him, him know we're, we're looking to hire. Yeah. yeah. We can't really pay too much, but.
0: I can pay him like $14 right now. <laughs>
1: Alrighty, righty. Moving on. Yeah, Baylor, <laughs> let's move on and let's uh, let's hear... Let's go ahead and remind us what your prediction from last week about this chapter was. And don't leave anything out.
2: So, Alex, being mistakenly reassured of her safety by Dean Graham, will take her studies to the next level, including being well prepared for the spawn this time around, and will do well enough to get out of remedial classes, like I said last episode. I also think Alex will stay out of trouble. But danger lies ahead, and another attempt on her life will be taken. And since she was reassured of her safety by Dean Grimm, I think this will be the closest call yet because she won't be expecting it.
1: Alright, so we just heard Baylor's prediction from last week about chapter 20 larry's wager Uh, i gotta say it starts off pretty hot once again uh alex does for the most part stay out of trouble she does for the most part show up prepared to her spawn and she does in fact get out of remedial classes so as far as that goes pretty well done pretty well done now that being said was there an attempt on her life this chapter
0: I would argue there's planning for it, right?
1: There's if... a potential for planning for it here with Larry sending her off into the forest like yeah. he is.
0: I mean, Anna seems to think it's a attempt, basically.
1: I don't know. It's a pretty solid prediction, I think. And in fact, we have to grade this one and the one from our episode about Chapter 18, because in that prediction... Baylor had stated that she was going to pass her spawn and get out of remedial classes, and we decided to give that a completion until we learned what the results of her spawn were.
0: I would give that one top marks.
1: I would give give that that one top marks, too. Yeah, Yeah. I would give that one an outstanding. Yeah,
0: everything came true, so. And
1: then for this one, I don't think I'm willing to go outstanding for this most recent one because we don't actually see an attempt on her life in this chapter, but because... The first part's so good and because it seems like Larry's trying to put her in danger again, I'm willing to go excellent here.
0: Same. I think we're on the same page.
1: All right. That works for me. Uh, big
2: news. I am have weaseled my way into the average category. So wow. I pass. excellent. That's Out amazing. of remedial <laughs> magic.
1: It's amazing what happens when you're given enough information to make adequate, thoughtful like decisions, you know?
0: You know, we discussed this last week, or I brought it up last week, about how we've talked about how we're mirroring Alex's year with the podcast. Like, we started in, you know, September-ish, and now we're heading into the spring semester with her. Baylor's also mirroring her grades. Started out pretty horrible, and he's making a comeback here in the second half.
2: That is true. I agree. I mean, it is, you know, like Brady said, it is helpful to kind of Be in the meat of the book, for sure.
1: Uh, End
0: of book seven. We'll have to see whether Baylor gets the same career as Alex.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Hopefully she's alive by then. (laughs) (laughs) True that, true that. Hopefully not in uh, the American version of Azkaban either. Right. I guess with that being said, there's not really anything else to talk about. This was a shorter chapter. Uh, We did have a nice deep dive into Larry and Benjamin and Mordecai.
0: Good character analysis Uh, there, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. To finish
1: off this chapter, Baylor, why don't you go ahead and make a prediction about Chapter 21, which we'll talk about next week's episode, called The Hodag. The Hodag. Spoilers. Spoilers, probably. There's
0: probably a Hodag.
2: So I actually, even though I'm kind of doubting myself now after our discussion and learning, it is actually a a fantastic beast. Um, But... I thought, even though the next chapter is called The Hodag, I don't think that there really is one. And they just are using it as a way to get Alex in the forest. I do think that the Hodag story is used by the older uh, students to scare the younger students, similar similarly to the stories about Dean Grimm. Um, but, like I said, I don't think there will be one. Um, because of this, there will be something else waiting in the forest when Alex get there gets there. That will attack her or confront her in some other way. Um, I also think it would be a good time for whoever is trying to kill Alex to show themselves at this point, or
1: at least a clue will be dropped about them.
0: A reveal.
1: Interesting. Ooh, that's uh, a dangerous prediction. Yeah, that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, could earn top marks if it's accurate though.
2: It could. Yeah, I'm that's also very uh, out there. I'm nervous though because I just I just got in passing and I feel like i I may be dipping down again yeah. there soon.
0: Um, shoot, I had a question. Oh, yeah. You said that in your prediction, you said the hodag is something that the older students use to, like, scare the younger students, just like the stories about Dean Grimm. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about when they tell them they'll, she'll turn them into animals and stuff like that?
2: Not the animals. Uh, the one where she does – where she drops one kid off the invisible bridge every year. I see. Yeah. So
0: two <laughs> things that they talk about Dean Grimm doing yes. that have both happened.
2: True except for the maybe the <laughs> invisible bridge. But.
0: I mean maybe that was part of her plan, you know?
2: <laughs> I don't know, I just wanted to add a little spice. Maybe to every the like 6 years segment.
0: she takes one kid to go get ice cream and that's how she chooses who falls off the bridge. True. She's kind of a sicko.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: She's really something. So
0: <laughs> Not the worst uh principal headmaster that I've ever had in my life though, so.
1: Well, good. Yeah. God, I'm, middle school I'm,
0: was not great
1: I'm happy for you I know who you're talking about yeah, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with that we're going to go ahead and end the episode there as a quick reminder we do appreciate reviews if you want to leave them on iTunes or on Spotify or on any other podcasting service you listen to uh, at last count we have 21 total reviews between Spotify and Apple Podcasts and 21 five star reviews so yeah, we're batting a thousand, as far as that goes.
0: If you're anyone other than my middle school principal, leave a review. Write
1: in. If you are the middle school principal, leave one too. Redeem yourself a little bit. Eh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to do a quick shout out. Uh, not to my middle school. No, principal, no, not to hopefully. the middle
0: school
2: principal. <laughs> um, uh, to the Discord. Uh, oh, it's true. been it's been a little uh, quiet. Quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Um so just you know we're hoping for some more conversation we like talking about the discord on the podcast you know so just i'm i'm challenging them here to at least type this word into a message on the discord this week flabbergasted
0: wow
1: that's your challenge i
0: don't even know how to spell that word
1: one one free week of super fandom for the first person to do that nice it has to be in the remedial magic podcast section of the Discord, though. Indeed, yes.
0: I also uh, want to do one tiny shout-out that I wasn't planning on doing, but it's to the Redditor King Greystone 555 who put a post in the Alex Quick subreddit concerning some theories about Alex. Now, Baylor, do not read these theories. They focus past book one. But for those of you that have already read the full series, go dive into those. I thought they were really, really good.
1: I read those today, too, and actually they are pretty interesting, so... Please uh, save that for me later.
2: We'll do.
0: We'll when discuss we, it in seven years. Yeah, we'll we're t- we'll say, talk yeah. about it in a long time. In about
1: 300 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> All right. We're going to leave you guys there. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week on Sunday at 4 a.m. to talk about Chapter 21, The Hodag. And I just wanted to remind you that in a world full of Benjamins and Mordecais, be a Larry. Good night. Good night.